Good morning, Sanctuary family. Uh, as you've already heard, there's over a hundred folks that are up at the family retreat this week, uh, and our guest speaker uh, wasn't uh, didn't end up being able to be here. Uh, and so, I actually think this may have worked out in some ways in our favor in terms of the content as we're walking through the book of Daniel. I want to zero in and focus on. So if you're new with us, uh, we've been going through the book of Daniel, Daniel 1, Daniel 2, and leading up to those two chapters, we spent some time talking about uh, the scriptures, we spent some time talking about passion, all of this under the guise of wanting to find clarity in an age of confusion. And there is something about the book of Daniel that has spoken to followers of Jesus throughout the centuries, uh, helping them make sense of what it is to be a faithful, uncompromising witness to all that is good and true and beautiful, to the way of God uh, in moments where much of culture is pushing up against many of those values. And so this week, instead of jumping to Daniel 3 and having a huge swath of our church miss that, uh, I thought actually it might be uh, helpful and appropriate for us to zero down, to drill down um, into another like key thing, a key subject that you see in the book of Daniel, specifically coming out of Daniel 2. So if you missed last week, please jump back on the podcast and try to uh, to catch up with us as we go through this. Um this talk, I'm actually going to be sharing a version of this with many of our families up at the retreat this weekend as we talk about building healthy family culture and discipleship culture. And so what I want to talk about today is prayer, is prayer culture. Uh, in Daniel, if we were going to do like a quick survey, just chapter to chapter to chapter from almost every single chapter, you see Daniel when he is confronted with the ache um, of the cultural moment that he finds himself in when he is confronted with oppression, when he is confronted with moments to compromise on his values and what he knows to be true, he has one move, one move, or at least I should say the, uh, always uh, one first move, and that is prayer. In Daniel 9, we read uh, as he is confronted with yet another king and yet another trial, we read, I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. And he goes from there. This little snapshot we find again and again and again. This is Daniel's move. So my hope in sharing this with our families this weekend or with some of our families this weekend and with all of you here to this morning, um, is that we would again fend off, this phrase I'm going to return to at the end, fend off any lukewarmness when it comes to seeking the Lord in prayer. If you've been around for even a couple months in our church, you know um, there has just been a growing hunger and a growing um, uh childlikeness, a growing faith, a growing desire for more of God. And this throughout the scriptures um, happens when a culture of prayer is being cultivated in the community. So my hope is that this encourages you and builds you up. 
Uh, for me, growing up, prayer was always in the house. Prayer was always central. It wasn't until I encountered colleagues uh, in the church world, and this was like even before I was ready to think about planting a church or being a pastor. Many of you know my story. This was not uh, where I thought I might end up in my career and my calling. It was when I came across some of the brightest, most educated just culturally dialed in men and women of God in this church community in New York and seeing just how uh, bruised their knees were, were would be one way to put it, to see how diligently and fervently they were seeking God. It was around this time that a couple uh, in our church who I'd sort of asked to be my mentors, essentially, would regularly sit me down on the couch, lay their hands on me, as we sat there after a beautiful meal and they would just listen and listen. And it was as if God wanted to say some very specific things to me through them. And they would say, I'm getting this image of, or this picture of, or the scripture came to mind, or I'm sensing based on what we had just talked about and now listening that we should pray into this. And I would again and again and again, find myself in tears, absolute tears just overcome with feeling either so deeply loved, so cared for. Often two things at once, it was feeling so loved and so convicted. And what I quickly realized as I was beginning to really mature in my faith, make sense of my call and who I was supposed to be in the world and what I was supposed to give my time and energy and attention to was I needed to fight to maintain this passion for the Lord and for seeking after him. So for me as a musician, worship was such an easy place for that. It was a place I already connected with God. It was like music and the ocean. And it was taking all of um, these like holy spaces that I would have, just writing songs about whatever and turning their attention to God and creating spaces where I was actually seeking his face and threading that rhythm of singing to the Lord, of praying to the Lord, of getting up early that just started to do something incredibly powerful in my community or my, in my heart, which then began to spill over over the years into our church. There are a few things that I think are non-negotiable in building a culture of prayer in your home and in your heart. And so the exercise that I tried to do in preparing for this was to simply imagine Daniel's parents and you can see why this would relate with all those that are in our family retreat. To imagine Daniel's parents, we know nothing of Daniel's parents. We have, a, we have a bit of strong conjecture about the culture that he came up in. We know a lot about um, what the culture should have been and would have been if they were faithful, Torah-following, observing uh, community, which we get the impression that they were, given Daniel's resolve and strength and power and intimacy and connection with God. And imagining Daniel's mom and dad sitting down regularly, going through these rhythms and developing this culture of prayer in his heart. And I started to think, okay, what in light of what we see in Daniel, and then really just a biblical overview of what do we need to um, fend off any lukewarmness, to dive deeper and deeper into prayer, to develop a strong and robust prayer culture in our hearts. So the first would be we need to have a burning biblical conviction, like right out of the gate. Like we need to sense in our hearts that this is what God has called us to do. And so the principle here is that prayer isn't one of the things that we do. 
it's the most important thing we do. And the cool thing is that right now at Sanctuary, so many are catching this principle. This isn't a tag on, this isn't some people come to heart and some people come to our prayer gathering and a few of the volunteers will show up for like the prayer rally beforehand. This isn't just one of the things we tag on, it's the most important. One passage that kind of helps illustrate this is Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This verse could sit right inside of the book of Daniel, could it not? Devoting himself, even when he knows that he is at death's door, if he gets on his knees to pray, if he seeks the Lord, he's going to devote himself to prayer. When faced with challenges, it's immediate move towards seeking the Lord. Devote has this idea of courageous insistence. This uh, in Colossians was written to a church so that they could lean into the things of God. If someone um, asked you about your prayer life, if they looked in on your prayer life, would they say, man, that person is devoted, devoted to prayer. Later on in Colossians, we read Epaphras sends you his greetings. Again, these letters to these early churches, always laboring earnestly for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. This is strong language, laboring. There's this burning conviction we need to have from scripture that this is actually the posture for all of us. We read in Abraham, he brings this, he has an unbelievable conviction of prayer. Um, he's talking with God, shall we hide uh, that from them what we are thinking? Moses you have him seeking God and interceding for a people. Hannah, the cry of her heart was so deep that the priests thought she was drunk. Esther prayed and fasted and this saved the people of God in that moment. Jeremiah interceded and he sought the peace of the city through prayer. If we move to the New Testament, these would have all been examples that Daniel would have been dialed in with. And then we have Simeon who prayed Anna, who prayed, who wanted to see the Christ child, was able to see Paul who wrestled in prayer. And then of course, we have Jesus who often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, right? There's this place where uh, we read that he, he um, sweat drops of blood like this, laboring in prayer, earnestly seeking God's face. He asks his friends to pray for him. He spends 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting. My point is that this wasn't an option. This was a deep conviction that permeated everything for those that were faithful to the way of God. Now, I'm sure you agree with me. Um, I, I think in large part, many of you, maybe not all of you, many of you wouldn't be even be in this church at this point if this wasn't beginning to burn in you. But I think continuing to ask the question, are people coming to your life to warm um, like their soul at the fire of devotion that burns in you? Is there a burning biblical conviction now, this starts by having a personal prayer life. A it, has, it starts with having a conviction of the worth of God. You have this, um, God is worth your time and worth carving out places in your schedule. There's a conviction uh, around the promises of God, that he is able and will do what he says he will do. And I think in this moment especially, and this has been helpful for many of us, a conviction about the powerlessness of the church, which sounds a bit funny, but a recognition of the need of the hour, of what we need for right now. So two, we need to have a bit, one, we need to have a burning biblical conviction. Daniel's conviction to pray comes from Torah. It comes from the law. It comes from the scriptures. 
It is easy for me to imagine mom and dad sitting down with him. And let me explain to you, according to the scriptures, what it is for you to go and seek the Lord in prayer regularly. That has to be front and center or we will flame out. Two, to develop a culture of prayer in our hearts. We need to be a praying church. We need to be, uh, to be a praying church, we need to be resolved and persistent in prayer. The principle here is praying churches are built by praying leaders, that praying homes are built by praying parents, and that a culture of prayer in our heart are built by people with deep uh, resolve and persistency uh, for this. So it's amazing when you read the New Testament introductions, how much uh, you read almost every letter, there is a foundation of prayer. In Romans 1, in 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and 2nd Timothy, and Philemon, you get, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I earnestly pray for you. There's these prayers of grace and peace over the community. I diligently sought the Lord on your behalf again and again and again. It's extraordinary. Every church and every movement we read about in the scriptures, just about everyone, and we can assume that the few others that are remaining are the same. These were um, prayed over by people who resolved, resolved that prayer would shape everything. And so what keeps us from this uh, passion? What keeps us from this resolve and in, in, um, in intentionality towards prayer? I think there's a couple things. One, one would be the competency trap. Um, you can look around um, right now. I don't know how many people are in the room right now, but man, there, is, there are a lot of smart people in our church are a lot of smart people in this city. We live in a time where we have access to so much brilliant content. And over the course of time, good leadership, and then just the natural gifting of people, of yourself, good habits. I know so many people who are obsessed in the best way of creating and cultivating really good habits. You realize you can get a lot of stuff done, a lot of stuff done. The problem is that when, um, you are aware of your own competency. And when you've surrounded yourself with great insight that you can actually do a whole lot built on your power and your power alone and your competencies and your competencies alone. Ronnie Floyd says, prayer occurs when you depend on God. Prayer occurs when you depend on God. Prayerlessness occurs when you depend on yourself. When prayer becomes a tag on at the beginning or the end of a habit or a project or a goal or a service, we so often end up walking in powerlessness. I remember the story once of this kind of world-renowned consultant going to this very uh, influential and strong church community, uh, and they were mapping out their game plan. This is just a brilliant, massive, one of the largest and most effective churches in the country, so influential around the world. And he goes there to help consult on their whatever year vision it was. Here's our game plan. Here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to accomplish. And he looks through this masterful document with this brilliant, competent planning and engagement. And everything is sort of lining up, every I dotted, every T crossed. And he says, there's one problem I see here. He says, everything that you guys have mapped out, you're able to accomplish. There is no room for faith and no room for the power of God to do more than you can imagine. There is no risk. Fascinating. Again, prayer occurs when you depend on God. 
when there's a dependence built in. Prayerlessness occurs when you depend on yourself. The competency trap is real. Two, there's the busyness trap that keeps us from this sort of ruthless engagement and cultivation of a culture of prayer in our hearts and in our homes. Um, I don't need to talk about this one very much. We're super busy. You've all heard the stats. I've given sermons on hurry and rest and Sabbath. There's just so much going on. You don't get to go around seeking and enjoying him and creating space and margin for God. And then when you're so busy, we quickly fall into the distraction trap. And so the distraction trap is, is really kind of an outflow of that. We are in a war. There is a war right now for our attention span. That is not like big bombastic religious language or spiritual language. Like quite literally, one of the number one like research things right now is people's attention spans. How can we get more of it? I don't know how many of you are on like Instagram and you thumb through reels or TikTok. It's like anything that's more than 30 seconds, you're like, all right, get to the point, get to the point. Like pay attention to how little, little attention you actually have. And so obviously there's no attention left for God. First Peter 4 says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may what? Pray. So that you may pray. We have to insist. We have to have resolve that busyness or my own competencies or these distractions will not rob me of the joy of being with God and seeking his face. And let me say this, that they won't lead me into sin. It is my conviction that prayerlessness is a sin, albeit a sin of omission, which we don't really talk about very often. James 4, this is what I mean. He says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Sins of omission are a tough one. We tend to skirt those. But if we know, if we have a strong biblical conviction and a resolve in our heart that this is what it is to walk in deeper intimacy with God, well, and we refuse to do that. I think we fall into the deadliest of traps. We read in 1 Samuel 12, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. He's like, I will bring you before God. I will declare how good God is. The failure here was the sin of prayerlessness. The gospel, we know this about the good news. This is what's been happening down front at the altar recently. The gospel leads us inward to repentance, inward to repentance instead of outward to critique. We ask God to start here with us always. This is what it is to walk the way of Jesus. How much am I praying for my family? Where is there a disconnect between a desire, the intimacy with God I desire to have and, and what actually is reflected in my schedule in my life? Seeking his face for even the people around me. Just the other day, if you've been following all that's been happening in Iran, I had a good friend who's been going back and forth from there right now. Uh, and just just urged me to post about it more, urged me to pray. And so I went and looked up another friend who had this great prayer guide and I found it and I posted it up. 
found a great picture that, you know, fits my aesthetic and might grab people's attention. And genuinely, I wanted more people to pray. I wanted more people to pray. Do you want to know how much I prayed for Iran that night after I posted that up? Yeah. Nothing. None at all. And woke up in the morning with this deep conviction of like, I, I've, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's an invitation to pray. I was to seek the Lord's face for all that is happening there. And it was so amazing, the gift then in turning and praying for these people and praying for the situation that I only know, you know, what I know about is only coming from a handful of news articles right now and, you know, some rogue Twitter accounts. And still, even as I'm doing my best and asking the Lord for peace and for justice, for the violence to cease, for the church, by the way, that is rising up in Iran right now to just be filled with power and sacrificial love. I found myself, my heart breaking for neighbors around me. I found God opening my heart up to other things that he wanted me to pray for. And I felt just overcome with God's love for his people. I mean, this all happened within a 15 minute time of just seeking, excuse me, seeking his face and walking through a little prayer guide. We have to have resolve and insistence that we will be a people who seek God. We have, we, that we will have habits and practices that guard and facilitate prayer. Uh, an insistence that I will have a marriage, I will have a relationship, I will have friendships where prayer is at the center. That we won't look out in critique of the powerlessness of the church, but that we're going to look in and go deeper and then look around for opportunities to influence. This is our posture. We look in and say, oh, there's a disconnect here. And then we look around or even look down at where there is opportunities to influence and we help bring other people in to our culture of prayer. So a passion, a biblical resolve and an insistence that we're gonna pray. And then lastly, to build a prayer culture in our hearts and in our homes and in our lives like Daniel is that you must be compelled by love. Look, the Pharisees, they prayed and prayed and prayed some more. There is this basic principle that love for God is the only thing that will sustain a culture of prayer. The Pharisees prayed, but it was driven by fear and it was driven by duty. And my gosh, it would break my heart that as God is, is welling up a culture of prayer in our community, as we're talking about finding clarity in an age of confusion, the thing that God's driving us to more than hot button social issues is like deeper prayer life and deeper intimacy that we may know the heart of the Father and discern with wisdom what it is to walk in joy and freedom in life in this age. What a, what a horrible twist that the devil could, could, could do horrible distraction is that suddenly we found ourselves driven by fear and duty instead of love. There's a scene where Jesus is walking through the churches, doing sort of like an auditing, doing research on what's happening in every church. You probably know where I'm going to go with this, with this passage. Revelation 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He's talking to one of these churches. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name. I know that you've not grown weary. Like these are all sweet things. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider. I love Jesus. 
It's like somehow like it's like a punch to the gut and a hug at the same time. It's like, hey, consider. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. People always talk to me, marriages, especially in marriages, they talk to me about, uh, married couples will talk about, we want to like, like get that love we had at first. Where was that love we had at the beginning? And, and I, I, this idea that you can't go back or can't foster it in a new way or it can't deepen, I think is, is a bit of a myth. Do the things you did at first. You've lost your first love, go back and do the things you did at first. What were those things? If you don't repent, right? If you don't turn around, if you don't shift your mindset, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, I, I don't know what it means for Jesus to remove his lampstand, but it is very clear by the context here that it is a bad thing. I don't want that. You don't want that. We don't want that. Get back to the things you did at first. And this is, to be clear again, what our church, the journey our church has been on these last couple of years, learning to enjoy God, returning to our first love, becoming church kids, like just seeing this welling up of childlike faith and a desire to seek him and him alone. This needs to be rooted in a love for our God and of course, a love for people. You pray about what you care about. You pray about what you value. We see the savior of the world weeping over the city in prayer when he sees the brokenness. It is, it is an ache and a love for the people. This is why all those traps, by the way, that we talked about are so lethal. Because all those traps want to do is numb you. They want to numb you like toward lukewarmness. They want to numb you so you don't see your neighbor in the same way. They want to distract you so you don't have time to consider the beauty of God or the hurt of the world around you and lean on God. We just want to numb the edges and not think about it. Which by the way, are why we're going to be doing, we're kind of reviving our Tuesday rhythm. So just to pause for a minute and give a little announcement right here. Is in the past, Tuesdays have been a day that we have consecrated or set apart for God in a particular way around prayer and worship. And so coming out of going back to January, the beginning of this year, first seek, leaning into Pentecost, all that God did at conference, I am like still hearing stories. It is amazing. And those two weeks of prayer and fasting that led up to that, we had a resolve in our hearts that we need to fend off anything that would distract us or somehow dull down or take away all of the, the, um, the focus that came from this last year. And so there's this great phrase from the Moravians where it was, they were in a season of just like powerful breakthrough and revival. And they just sort of doubled down on these prayer gatherings. And someone asked like, why are you doing this? And they said, we need to fend off lukewarmness. I love that. Fend off lukewarmness. So on Tuesdays, we're adding another prayer room in the morning on Zoom. So there'll be a seven and a 9 a.m. And then this coming Tuesday, there'll be Heart, which is our prayer and worship space over at 12 Bassett. And regularly Tuesdays, you'll see men's worship nights or women's worship nights or an, an additional heart gathering or a prayer room space. But those Tuesdays, um, if you're already signed up for it, you'll get these um, and there'll be a place for you to sign up uh, at the Next Steps bar or on the um, on our like online link tree uh, to sign up to receive these prayer prompts. 
In the morning, Pastor Greg is our pastor of prayer and revival. He will send out uh, just a call for us, a little devotion for the day, an invitation to fast for and pray for a specific thing. Uh, and then we will be a day, it'll be a day that we're just asking everyone, if you're able to pop into one of these spaces. And if none of these spaces work at all, we ask, would you consider moving some things around or consider stepping in and maybe leading another space? But we'll talk about that a little bit more as this continues to develop. But starting this coming Tuesday, join us at 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. for online prayer gatherings and for uh, to receive one of these prayer and fasting prompts for you to do on your own and heart that night. And we're doing this because, again, we want to fend off lukewarmness. We, friends, are in one of the most contested times. There are so many that are falling into confusion. And so someone and some people have to stand in the gap for their family and for the people around them, for their city, and to pray. Jesus, again, was driven by love for his people. Prayer keeps our hearts soft toward God and keeps our hearts soft toward people. And so we pray as we can, not as we can. David Fritsch says this. I always find this in the context of a church so encouraging. He says, don't despise your small prayer gatherings. Every major revival has its origins with a small band of intercessors faithfully crying out. Small gatherings precede big breakthroughs. When we gather to worship and pray, regardless of size, we convene the very court of heaven on earth. Our prayer gatherings are the most important and powerful gatherings in our city. Be encouraged even this past Tuesday. We saw about 20 pastors from this region gather in our space and our ministry center on their knees in prayer for one another and for our city. This, this is the beginning of our walk and our faith so we don't worry about the outcomes. So back to Daniel. I doubt Daniel's parents knew what was to come. I, I don't have any reason to think that unless God gave them a prophetic vision that he was going to be thrown to the lions and going to be tested in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, that Babylon was going to overtake their land. But they had helped their boy prioritize seeking the Lord with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his strength for every circumstance. When we pray, when we pray, right, we read that um, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears of the Lord are attentive to their prayers. God is leaning in to hear the cry of your heart. God is leaning in to enjoy life with you. So what, like God is asking, I think many of us, like what do you want? Do you, do you want me in life with me? Do you want the joy and power with me and freedom with me? And I know so many of you are like, yes, yes, yes. So he's like, press in. Same with a marriage in so many ways. God even uses the marriage analogy in part for our relationship with him. That's great that you want that. Will you spend time with me? And will you seek my face? Jesus asks, right, do you want to be healed? He's asking. He's looking for your volition. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you is the promise given in scripture. Do you want to be healed? Do you want power? Do you want to walk in freedom? 
draw near. Come here. Come here. God is leaning in. The ears of God are attentive to our prayers. Lord Jesus, I pray um, as we come to the altar, Holy Spirit, I pray as um, we carve out a few minutes here to seek your face, that you would show us, Lord, what the next step is in um, developing a more fervent culture of prayer in our hearts and in our homes. Stir, Lord, our biblical just conviction for you. Stir, Lord, our attention and our passion and a culture of pursuit for you. And may we grow and well up in our love for you, considering the worth, Lord, and the promises that are found in you.